the founder and president of Courageous Warrior Ministries. Uh, today, we're going to continue on our series on lust. Uh, this is the second podcast of the series. It's going pretty well, I think. Uh, it's an enjoyable series. It is one that I, I really feel like we all need. It dives into content that is not easy. It's <laughs> difficult, uh, but it's, it's needed. It's something that we... As men, we like to kind of brush under the rug. And I, I think that part of that is is because we've struggled to understand the topic of lust. We've under we've we've struggled to understand what lust fully encompasses. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to our uh I don't remember what we called you last time, the host, I guess, the host of the podcast. The one that's going to be uh moderating it, I guess. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, moderating. Moderator. I'll uh <laughs> Thanks for joining. I'm Joshua Schwarza. I am our vice president and our director of ministry development here at Courageous Warrior Ministries. Uh, we are also joined today by Aaron Hartman. He is the director of content for the ministry. Go ahead and say hello. Hey. Yep. So there's Aaron. You know, it's a nice short little hey. Uh, all right. As you've already heard, we're going to be going into Lost a little bit more today. Today, in particular, we're going to discuss the materialist, materialistic aspect of lust. You know, as we were discussing last week, lust just isn't, you know, sexuality, it's sexual in nature. It's a few other things. So today, uh, we're going to hit the materialism aspect of it. Uh, so if I could go ahead and uh, get you, Aaron, real quick, if you could uh, read the topical strip, the scripture we're going to be using for today, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. But... Godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. All right. So uh, if anybody else wants to go ahead and read that back again, you know, Go ahead and pause and go ahead and take a good look at that scripture because it has a lot to deal with what we're going to talk be talking about tonight. So uh, my question to you guys is on a, on a materialistic aspect, you know, go ahead and what is it? Materialism, materialism. That, you know, it's a it's an all encompassing thing that I think a lot of us deal with. Um, I mean, we've all heard of keeping up with the Joneses, right? You see what your neighbors got, and you want what your neighbors got. You see the things that. Uh, the, the people have as you drive through town, the nice cars, the freshly mowed grass, the perfectly kept up house. The bass boats. The bass boats, which I would love to have for a closet full of guns or, you know, whatever the case would be. Uh, I think that we all kind of get bit with that bug of materialism at times, kind of wanting what maybe we're not set up to have at the moment, what God hasn't ordained us to have at the moment, and that idea of materialism ultimately leads to lust, which is where we're going with this. So, uh, You got anything to add to that, Aaron? Uh, yeah, I was trying to look up the scripture, but there's a, a scripture in James that distinctly talks about the fact that materialism will eventually go away because no matter how good of a material it is, gold will rust, the cloth will wear away, and everything else will, will eventually die. The only thing that will stay is the is God, the eternal. And, you know, for the Jews that he was talking about in that sit- situation, you know, gold is, you know, obviously something that lasts forever in our eyes. It doesn't rust. It's a, the hardest thing and the hardest material to rust. And cloth in the day and age of that time 
was a sign of their position and their power in their society. Uh, depending upon what you wore, you were, you know, hot shot or you were something of importance to the rest of the people around you. It was a, a sign of class and a sign that you, you were meant something. All right. Yeah. Um, I did definitely agree with both you guys and, you know, and it's, it's very common. I mean, I struggle with it myself, you know, man, I could really, really use a new car. I really want a new, new gun to go out with this hunting season. You know, so I think materialism is an easy thing to fall into. Uh, in Webster's dictionary, I'm going to go ahead and give the dictionary definition of their it's a way of thinking that gives too much importance to material possessions rather than spiritual or intellectual things ouch so. that hurts <laughs> i mean when you think of that and you think of that the, the fact that we're all kind of bit by that materialism bug to think that the actual definition is placing too much of an importance on material things rather than spiritual or intellectual things that kind of cuts to the core yeah, I mean, a secular dictionary that's out there compares it to, a, you know, a spiritual life. I mean, so as you as you kind of start diving into this, and I may be getting ahead of myself because I haven't read all the notes, but uh, hey, well, that's okay. We always go off on tangents yeah, here. So yeah, welcome to the Courage Warrior Ministries podcast, where we go off the rails. Uh, <laughs> But materialism and lust, where where is the where's the, the dividing line? Where's the the I crave after this new car versus when it kind of starts to transition to becoming that lust? Well, uh it's a good question. You know, I I don't know if I should be moderating it anymore. Maybe I should hand that hat over to you. Uh but really it it starts where the drive is. Is it what all I'm thinking about is what I'm putting my focus on. You know, I could want a brand new truck and it's perfectly okay. But if I wake up and every week, every, every time I wake up, my goal for that day is I'm going to do whatever I got to do to go get that new vehicle. You know, and I'm not thinking about improving my relationship with God. I'm not thinking about improving my relationship with my wife or my kids, you know, and my sole focus is that item that is where it turns into a materialistic lust. Um, to kind of add with that, two of the Ten Commandments actually have something to do with materialism lust. Uh, the first one is, you know, do not create any idols. An idol is just simply something that you've created in importance to your mind and to your walk. You think about it all the time. You you can't stop thinking about it. You're like, man, I really want that new truck or I really want this new tool or I really want this or that. That it starts becoming a, a form of worship for that thing, and then the other one is do not covet. You know those two things exemplify the you know what we're kind of going through here, the materialism part. Uh, even Webster dictionary dictionary kind of spelled out for us. Yeah, so pretty much to sum it up, it's you know, do you want for yourself, or is it going to further the kingdom? Uh, you know, and when I was uh, preparing my notes for today. You know, I really identified a lot of areas that can really relate to materialism. Uh, there's power, money, possessions, hobbies, you know, and even to an extent, drugs and alcohol. Uh, so but the first one I really want to touch on is uh, we're going to go ahead and touch on money and possessions. Now, when it comes to money and possessions, you know, it's a driving force of our society. I mean, everything we do revolves around 
what we have, what we earn. Uh, but really, you know, I think back to Matthew nineteen sixteen through 26, where uh, we have the story where there's a rich man. He comes up to Jesus. He asks him, uh, you know, what do I got to do to inherit the kingdom of God? What do I got to do to be a disciple of you? Uh, and I think Will's got that scripture pulled up if he wants to go ahead and read that. Yeah, I do, in fact, because uh, it's it's good enough that I don't think we should take it out of context. So um, starting in verse 16 of Matthew 19. Uh, verse 16, it says, just then a man came to Jesus and asked together or teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor and your, as yourself. All these that I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Uh, so, I mean, I'm going to tell you my opinion on that whole that group of scripture. You know, it's not saying that, you know, you can't be wealthy and be a believer. You know, you can't be wealthy and, and end up in heaven. But I, I think it just points out to uh, your heart condition. You know, you have a wealthy man and his heart was with his wealth. It was with his possessions. So, you know, when Jesus told him to give those things up, he was asking to become the center of the man's life. That, that's my interpretation of that. You know, so money and possessions aren't inherently evil. It's, it's where you place them in your life. Yeah. And for, for my limited understanding in that Jesus was actually being sarcastic when he said great wealth, because Jesus came from heaven, which had the road of gold and the pathways of gold. And so to him, this man's great wealth was really nothing. It was a, a drop in the bucket in, in comparison. And it was his pride that got in the way. It was his lust after his own possessions that got in the way between him and what God had called for him. And at the end of the day, you know, we can't outgive God. And so if the man had given all of his possessions up in the way that Jesus was saying, how much more would he have gotten at the end of the day in return because of it? Yeah. And uh, to that point too, verse 22, it says, when the, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I mean, that's speaking exactly what Josh was saying that it truly was a heart condition. Now, as Josh was saying, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having money. And a lot of times I think that we look at that section of scripture and confuse having wealth or having money for being someone who can't be Jesus following because that's what the scripture says. Well, it's not what the scripture says. Um, I think the scripture here really speaks to the heart of the lust of money and possession, right? This, this young man clearly based on what the scripture says was lusting very hard after his wealth, after his possessions, after his money, because 
it made him very sad when Jesus said, well, go sell it all, go get rid of it. And he was like, uh, so that means I'm not getting to heaven then. Right. Cause I have no intention of selling this this is how I read into that. Um, which reminds me too, before I give it back to you that, uh, as we're going through all this stuff, guys, and, and we've said this every podcast we've done, make sure that you're testing this. Uh, we're, we're merely men. We're not biblical scholars. Everything that we say is of our own opinion. And it really should be tested against scripture. I mean, if there's something that you disagree with via scripture, feel free to let us know. Uh, but we don't, we don't want you just taking our word for it. We don't want you just taking our teachings for gospel because they're not gospel. They're the teachings of men. So now, uh, continuing on with uh, the discussion about money and possessions. I mean, there's plenty of good and strong Christian people out there who are wealthy, you know, they, and they use their wealth for furthering the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, but one thing, you know, I was talking with, uh, one of our pastors at our, at the church I attend to, you know, and we were talking about how even the drive to uh, get money to provide for your family or be able to give a bigger tithe, tithe, tithe check to the church, it can turn into a lustful intention, you know? Um, oh, if I uh, only get more money, I could get this for my family. I can provide more Christmas gifts for my kids. Um, Oh, if I go out and, you know, work more and I can go ahead and get a big old check to the church for that playground that they've been wanting to build for the churches. Uh, so what are your guys' thoughts on that? Even times whenever you are doing things with good intentions, if your heart's not following what the Lord is leading you, you've, you've done wrong, unfortunately. From my understanding, if if you're not following the way that the spirit is leading, it won't be in the same manner and it will not have the same weight or the same prosperity as if you were doing what the Lord had called you to do. If you're lusting after that money, so that way, oh, and you're giving yourself excuses like, oh, well, then I can give extra to this or, oh, I can give extra to that. And, oh, my kids need this and, oh, this and that. You're still you're still having the heart posture towards lusting because of the money you're still having that heart posture. And that, at the end of the day, it's really just that it's, it's in what way are you posturing yourself? Is it posturing yourself towards the money, towards the extra things, towards the aspect of, you know, I need these things versus this is for the Lord and I can use this money for the Lord to further his kingdom. Or is it, Oh, this is to further Aaron Hartman or to further will, you know, it's it just, and that's just at the end of the day is the matter. It's you have to point yourself and posture yourself to the way the Lord is leading you. All right. So time for real talk. Um, I'm that guy. I really am. I, uh, I work crazy hours. I work very hard for the money that I get. I've struggled with this. I still struggle with this. I don't, I don't know if, if you're someone who struggles with the, the lust of money and I, for me, it's hard to admit that it's a lust of money, but I mean, it is, it is. Uh, but if you're someone who struggles with this, it's not something that just stops, you know, just cause you turn over that one tide check. That's actually 10%. It doesn't make the lust go away. It doesn't change the, the lust patterns, if you will. Um, so, I mean, I'll be honest, this is something that I struggle with. I struggle with tithing. I struggle with, uh, giving money freely, which is crazy because uh, essentially what I'm doing is stealing from God. And I know that, and I understand that. Um, 
but that is in that moment is one or one of my greatest weaknesses in my flesh shines through. Um, but it's like a conversation we were having earlier, Josh, that I think praise God for somebody who's willing to admit that they're struggling with a lust like that. Um, and I know that I'm not the only one. I know there's a lot of people who are faithful church attenders who struggle with the idea of parting ways with whatever they got left, you know, and, and, and at some points it's abundance and a lot of times it's selfishness. Um, so if, if that's you listening to this, don't think you're not alone. Don't think that you're not alone, even with people who are in leadership and, and positions and churches and stuff like that. A lot of people aren't going to ever admit this to you. Um, but I'm not scared to. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing here. So real talk, real problems, you know, just admitting that we're men and we're saved only by the, the grace of God. Yeah. And I'll second that. I mean, I'm a big video game nerd. So there's a thing that I have. Oh, there's this new video game coming out. Oh, I've got to work a little bit harder. I've got to do some freelance work and I've got to do some things graphically because I'm a graphic designer. And so I got to do all this stuff and then, you know, I'll get the game and I might pick it up and then the Lord will check me. Okay. So you got it now. What are you going to do with it? How is it going to further my kingdom? How is this going to further your family? How is this going to do any of these things that you're supposed to be doing versus the, the momentary joy of buying it? And I'll tell you what gets me too on this stuff uh, as we continue this conversation is that like for me, I can use every excuse in the book. I don't want to write a check. I don't want to write a check when I donate because that check may not come out on time and I might bounce and I might make my account go negative. So I'll just go to the ATM. Oh, wait a minute. If anybody knows me, you know that I'll be late to church. I don't have time to stop at an ATM. Uh, so it's just always this compounding problems and we let the excuses creep in of what we can't do overrun the things that we're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And you know, while we're on the subject of tithing, you know, it's something that I struggle with. You know, I understand it should be the very first thing I do, but you know, when I make out a budget for this pay period, you know, tithing should be the first thing on that budget. It should be at minimum 10% of what the income is. But what else am I looking for that though, before I do that first thing on there is needs, you know, it's food, bills, you know, stuff that really God's directed us not to worry about. I can't remember where the scripture is, but, uh, you know, he talks about it, you know, that, and he mentions that he's going to take care of us while you're pulling it up, you know, so, uh, while you're doing that, I'll just keep talking. I'm good at that. But, you know, when another area when it comes to tithing is, you know, well, duck season's coming up. I need my duck stamp. So before I go and tithe, I got to go and make sure I'm legal to go out and shoot some ducks. You know, but the reality is, is what's that sh- uh, showing about my heart condition? Uh, I'm lusting after the hunt. I'm lusting after, you know, food. Yeah. And it's uh, the, the scripture you're referring to is Matthew six twenty five, And it, yeah, kinda, it. it goes into, I think it's verse 28 or 29, um, which is a really convicting set of verses for me because I'm that guy. We've had that conversation that I, I'm a, I'm a serial planner. Um, <laughs> I'm a contingency planner. That's just who I am. We just had that this afternoon. Yes. And uh, as such as being that guy, I worry about everything. Um, not to the point where like it consumes my life or anything like that, but I am constantly worrying about everything. And when you focus so much on the worry, you don't focus on the blessing that is encompassing 
that worry from ever, you know, becoming true, becoming an issue. So to Josh's point where he was kind of going, I, I think is that, you know, we, we spend so much time worrying about our food and our clothes and our bills and how are we going to pay for this and how are we going to do this? And uh, tithing is one of the few areas, maybe even the only area where God says, test me in the Bible, uh, where God says, if you give your 10% and you test me that you will find that you are more prosperous, that you have less to worry about. Um, and that's something that we all can read all day long, but until we put it to practice, we're going to continue those lustful patterns after money. Even if it's not something that we completely and totally lust after, I think everyone is predisposed to those lust patterns. Aaron looks like he really wants to say something here. Uh, I do have a testimony that kind of goes along with that. And it's not my testimony, but it's actually my sister's. Um, she has tithed faithfully for years. I mean, the, the, if there's one thing I can absolutely say about my sister is that she is a faithful tither. Um, she is not a college graduate, but she is the president of the company that she works for now. And she's puts that all to the fact that she's tithed. You know, she's making way more money than I do. And I'm a college graduate and I mean, just blows me out of the water with how successful she is. And honestly, it all comes down to the fact that she tithes so faithfully. And it's not just the 10%. There'll be times when the Lord checks her and be like, Hey, you know, that 15 K that you've got in the, in the bank account, I want you to give that to this missionary. And she does. And she then turns around and someone hands her 30 K back. And I'm like, that's absurd. Someone handed you 30, like thousand dollars. Just they're like, eh, you kind of deserve this. I don't know why, but here you go. I'm like, Lord, can I, can I get some of that? Like send some of that my way. But that's the thing is, the Lord will surprise you and you can't ever outgive God. You know, the more that you give and the more the obedient that you are to the tithing and the, to the giving, the more he's going to give back in return. Now I want to ask a question to you guys, and this is going to kind of shift the focus a little bit because I think that the tithing portion of things really kind of brings out that lust of money. Oh yeah. But definitely. think of other areas in life where we struggle with that same lust of money that maybe aren't so obvious to the church, but are a little more obvious to your heart. Um, how many times have you driven past a homeless guy who's been out there with a sign asking for 20 bucks and your mind goes to, well, he's going to be using it on alcohol. So I don't need to do that. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, I've had the same conversation with, you know, my wife and a couple of friends, you know, a few years ago, uh, I had a friend, you know, he used to be one of my soldiers. So, you know, and me being an NCO, like, you know, it's still ingrained in my blood, even though I'm out of the army, I got to take care of my soldiers. You know, I found out, um, he was having a difficult time. You know, he had just gotten out of the army a few months prior. I uh, still really seeking, you know, where he belonged in the civilian world. Uh, well, it was Christmas time and, you know, I was just talking with him and he was just confiding to me about the troubles that he was having you know, so I just asked him a simple question of like, you know, hey, are you, are you able to give your kids a Christmas at all? You know, not that being able to provide gifts for your kids is necessarily, you know, needed. But when you see everybody else getting gifts for their for your kids, you know, for, or for their kids and you're not able to do the same for yours, you know, kind of can cause a little bit of self-doubt. So, you know, he was like, no, you know, we needed new tires on our vehicle. So all of our spare money had to go to that. So, you know, I just went and talked to the friends, family, and we ended up uh, getting a bunch of gifts for him and his kids. And, you know, 
me and a, a friend, we drove up to his, uh, where he lived, which is about five hours away from here. You know, and it was really when I was doing that, you know, I'm doing this for a friend, you know, and really what if I had done this for somebody I didn't know? Probably not. And it was there that God started to convict me on that exact topic is like, you know, how many times, like even driving through small little Ada, Oklahoma, do you see that guy standing around Walmart saying, Hey, I need, you know, five bucks to be able to feed my family. And we just fall into that trap of he's going to, going to use it for something other than what he says he is. Oftentimes, whenever I have people approach me for that, I actually just go, what do you need? And they're like, well, I just need money. I'm like, okay, what do you need? Let's come with me. Let's go back into Walmart, which if you guys know me, I hate Walmart, <laughs> but I, I don't know anybody who really likes it. If, if there's a need and you know, if I get the prompting from the Lord, I, I'll, I'll oftentimes be like, all right, come in with me and I will go in go shopping with that person and I might spend more like 20 bucks, but that person gets what they need from there. And there's been times when people have been like, no, I just want the money. Like, well, then you're not really wanting it for this purpose. And so oftentimes if you just extend the, extend the hand out and just be like, Hey, you know, let, let's go and I'll get you more than what you actually need. You know, you can really get down to the heart of what that person's really, if that person really needs it, or if they're just wanting it to, to try to bribe you out of some money. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just one more thing for all of you out there listening, really uh, search your hearts about and, and to pray about, but uh, we've got to start moving on to the, to the next topic. Uh, we've got a lot to cover and not a lot of time to do so. Uh, but hobbies, you know, I've heard it said that, like, you know, if you really, really want to see where, what a man loves, look at where he's spending his money on. And a lot of times we call these things hobbies. For me, it's my duck hunting. I will do that every day if I could for the whole day. But, uh, you know, as we start talking about hobbies, you know, it, we got to understand the hobbies, they're not inherently bad. You know, they're a great thing. Uh, you know, we could look at Ecclesiastes 2, 24, you know, where it says there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. You know, so right there it's saying, hey, you know what? You're out there working to enjoy your life, but we still at the same time need to watch how we're spending that time in that hobby. Uh, Will, go, you know, you're over there again looking like you've got something to say, so I'll let you go ahead and take the show now. Well, uh, talking about hobbies and, and money, hobbies and money go hand in hand. Um, and a lot of times I think that our lust for money manifests in our lust after hobbies and things to do and, and searching all the time for that thing that's going to bring us joy. Um, and it's funny that you use Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes was written by, uh, written by Solomon, right? And Solomon was given the license by God to do anything and everything under the sun to try to find enjoyment away from God. Um, he was allowed to have up to a thousand wives and concubines. He was, uh, he was allowed to have all the wealth in the world. Um, I'm sure he explored every hobby known to man at the time. And he, he got the opportunity to do all these things that so many men probably kind of in their psyche wish they could do all chase after all these different things and, and not worry about money and, and have the ability to do whatever they want. 
But Solomon never found any any use in any of that, right? He never found any any use in anything apart from God. No, I mean, uh, if you look at Solomon's writings, man, they're depressing. <laughs> I mean, just telling. I mean, he's straight up telling everybody in it that outside of God, there's nothing. And just about every single verse that he's that attributed to in the Bible. But your your line here on your notes, and I love this line. It says, "Lust enters when put before God." I mean, literally, Solomon tried to put everything before God because that's kind of what he was licensed to do. He was licensed to, to, to be the one to carry a journal and show that nothing, even when you put it in front of God, nothing you can find joy in outside of God. Um, and I think that is at, at the root of, of spiritual or uh, so, uh, uh, flesh lust, right? After lust of the flesh, the, the, the root of all of it is trying to find joy outside of God. I really do believe that in my heart of heart. Um, so looking at hobbies and money back to back right here, it's, it really manifests in that idea of trying to find joy outside of God. We could give our money towards spiritually edifying things, spiritually building things that we'd probably find a lot of joy in, but we may not see the automatic returns. And a lot of times that's not enough for us. We want the automatic returns. Yeah. You know, and when we're talking about hobbies, you know, we look at first Corinthians, uh, 10, 31 and 32. So whatever, whether you eat, drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek or the church of God. So, you know, whatever I do, you do, do it for the glory of God. The things that I enjoy like the most, you know, in life, I love to hunt. It's who I am. I've said it a thousand times just in the few podcasts we've done already. You know, and as people will say, how can you really glorify God when you're out hunting? Well, one thing is, is when I started to hunt, when it was hunting season, it was hunting season. Didn't matter what day of the week it was. It was Sunday morning. I was out in the woods. I was out in the duck blind. Then God started convicting me on that lifestyle. You know, how do I put hunting to the glory of God? Well, when I'm out in the duck blind with friends who aren't believers, I watch what I say. I watch, you know, I, I've, still struggle a lot with, with cursing, you know, it really was a part of me as an, as an NCO in the army and just part of everyday life. Well, for the glory of God, I watch that so I can be a better witness for him. Well, once eight o'clock comes around, you know, regardless of whether we're at at our limit for birds or not, Hey guys, it's been a great day, great morning, but I got to go ahead and head out. I got to get to church. So, uh, you know, that, that's how we make sure that, you know, whatever we're doing, we're doing it for the glory of God within our hobbies. And, uh, you know, every one of us here has a different hobby. So I'm going to go ahead and let Aaron speak to on his end of this. Yeah. Kind of like I mentioned before, I'm a big video game nerd. So there'll be times when the Lord checks me and says, you know, you've, you've created a God out of this video game. And, you know, here's this passage here. It's first Peter one, 13 through 14. So then prepare your hearts and minds for action. Stay alert and fix your hope firmly on the, I'm sorry, on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Jesus Christ is unveiled, a greater measure of grace will be released to you as God's obedient children. Never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know better. And so just kind of like you were saying, you know, there's there's moments that you have a checking in your heart that goes, you know, really, should I be doing this? Is this really the first priority that I should be having in my life. Is this really something that's so important 
that I, I can ignore everything else. And, you know, it's not just video games for me. I also like do a lot of artwork and I start making things with tools and different things like that. And not going to explain it away. Like, Oh, I'm making money for my family and it helps pay for the other tools and it helps me pay for other games and everything else. But at the end of the day, you know, if it's not bettering this world in some way, if it's not bettering the kingdom of God, if it's not furthering the kingdom of God, then, you know, it's really just for selfish gain. And I think the way that we see that the manifesting of that in our hobbies and, and the lust patterns within our hobbies, it, the easiest way we see it manifest is obviously, you know, when we choose a hobby over church, when we choose, you know, actually doing whatever it is that we want to do versus choosing to want to be in church and be part of God's people. Um, but I think it, it, it goes a lot deeper than that though, doesn't it? Because church is only one hour, sometimes two hours on a Sunday. Um, we all have different ideas of, of what Sunday is supposed to look like in church and things like that. But there's you, I mean, you got six other days in a week, right? And so how often are you, are you putting those hobby times in front of your Bible study times or in front of your gathering with other men times that you could be edifying one another and helping each other build up. But instead you are so focused on your hobby that uh, you have absolutely zero interest in any of that. Right. I think that's kind of, it's not, I think the easiest manifestation of when it becomes a lust is when it affects Sunday service, but you got to start checking that throughout the week and not allowing it to be the thing that comes before God comes before your family comes before your, your ordained callings as a man of Christ. Well, yeah, and, it, and the example that I use with hunting, you know, it's not to say that if, you know, you miss church because you're spending it down the woods, it's uh, not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I've, in fact, there's been a time where I won a hunting trip. Well, the day that this hunt that I won, it was on a Sunday. So, you know, obviously I have no choice. I can't pick the day. I'm, you know, that's not going to be held against me. I don't think, you know, when it comes down to it, when God, you know, when I walk through the gates, God's not going to be like, Hey, remember that Sunday you missed, you know? So we're not trying to say that if you happen to miss a day of church for something, that it's a bad thing, but it, it really comes to how you're portraying it. Like, you know, like you said, well, it's missing church is probably the biggest, you know, tell that you could have, but I could still come to church every Sunday and that hobby still be number one because my tithe check, it went for you know, some new decoys on a duck call instead of into the offering plate. Yeah. To kind of go along with that, you know, kind of like what you were saying was, you know, I, I might not miss church on Sunday and Wednesday, but you know, I'm not waking up early to get to the church prayer time or the, the men's group time. Uh, that you know meet on Saturdays but I'm willing to wake up at 5 30 in the morning or earlier for for a video game because I know that's probably the only time I'll get to do it and so you know I'm keep checking on video games but that's something that the Lord kind of hit me on whenever I was being had a moment of retrospection with with him earlier this week and so you know it's we that's just kind of the key part is you have to be retrospective you can't be overly critiquing yourself and overly harsh on yourself but there, there are those moments where you just go, God, where I am I, you know, am I, am I, have I lost my, my touch with you? Have I lost some of my walk with you? Where, where, where do, where am I in my walk and where do you think I need to be? Yeah. Uh, 
and again, it's uh, really when you're looking at that, it's you're you're checking your heart condition. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and keep moving along here. Uh, one thing I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on. Uh, it's drugs and alcohol. You know, I, I think it fits in here when we're talking about lust a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you know, drugs and alcohol have such an impact psychologically and physically that it may not be an intent to really get on them, but, you know, you just have that one taste and it becomes an addiction. But then at the same time, you know, you could also be lusting after an escape from life, you know, well, I just went to work and it was a bad day, so now I'm lusting for an escape. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, get your opinion on this wheel to start with. So uh, drugs and alcohol are a difficult topic, right? Because there's some people that can partake in them and not be affected. There's some people that get addicted on pretty much first taste, right? Uh, but drugs and alcohol where the lust factor comes in with them is they're very addictive. Uh, anything that becomes an addiction is essentially a lust, right? It, it, we're, we're saying essentially the same thing, right? If, if you become addicted to drugs or alcohol, that addiction is separating you from God. So understanding that addiction is a property of lust, that understanding that kind of concept will be very important for understanding where we're going later in the series when we start talking about sexuality and things of those natures. Um, but the, the addiction of drug and alcohol and the, the lust patterns that come along with it usually are pretty easy to pick up on. Um, but there's a lot of people who are stuck in that, in that pattern of lust for drugs and alcohol. You know, some of that actually has to do as well with the, you know, generational curses. Uh, for me, you know, I, I've kind of dabbled in both drugs and alcohol, especially at a very, very young age. It was given to me by a friend's older brother and, you know, I just kind of got lost in it. Um, it was kind of an escape for me, but it was a generational curse that I was unaware that had grabbed the hold of me and, you know, there, there's so many times where people don't don't realize that those generational curses are there. And oftentimes, if we just delve into our own family history, sometimes we, would, we will find those things out. And, you know, if you're susceptible to it, then you should avoid it. It's just just simple as that. Like if you have alcoholism in, in your family, you should probably avoid it because it could very easily turn to something else. You got uh, anything else on this, Will? Or? No, I, I, I think that... Uh, the idea of, of lust is really man is, is something that's really manifested in drugs and alcohol. And unfortunately, um, in a lot of lust patterns, we don't see the physical destruction of families and, and things of that nature and alcohol and, and drugs specifically are something that we can see the actual physical destruction of the body of the family structure of the intent of the things that God wants for you actually devolved and tore apart by that lust, right? I mean, we see a lot of times where uh, some of these lusts start kind of going hand in hand. Like I've got a lust for money. I'm not going to give it away because I got to spend it on my alcohol because that's really what I desire in life. Um, so I, I think that when you're understanding these, these materialistic lusts that we're talking about, drugs and alcohol are a big one seemingly on the surface, kind of simple, right? But, but again, going to what you're talking to, you know, there's a lot of 
predisposition to it. There's a lot of brain chemistry that goes into it. And uh, it's something that just like with money, if, if you're struggling with drugs and alcohol, praise God that you say you're struggling with drugs and alcohol because it is a lust pattern that will never completely go away, right? It's something you got to fight for the rest of your life, just like any of these other lust patterns. So coming up with that battle plan and putting on the armor of God, which we keep hammering on uh, podcast after podcast. Which, uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, uh, I would highly encourage you guys to Highly so. encourage you. Um, but understanding that these lust patterns are something that you're predisposed to and understanding that that this lust can easily creep into your heart and become something that overtakes you, putting on that armor of God and making sure that is a priority in your life to keep these lust patterns either at bay or prevent them from becoming something that is an eventual lust pattern is very important. Now I, I said we weren't going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I've just got one more uh, question for you on this. You know, you keep bringing up addiction when it comes to drugs and alcohol. And the reason I'm asking this question is because it's going to come into play further along in our series. Does it necessarily take drugs or alcohol to cause an addiction? No, 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 not at all. Um, in fact, um, so addiction is a, uh, a lot of times a psychological condition, right? It's, it's a brain chemistry condition. Um, and we're going to talk about this more as we get into sexuality. Um, but your brain responses to things is a lot of times where even lust patterns develop. Um, speaking of pornography, and we will get into that later with the series, but uh, the, the brain response that you get from looking at pornography is the same brain response you get as looking at a donut, which is hard to believe, right? Well, donuts are delicious. Donuts are delicious. Our body craves donuts just like our body craves sexuality. Uh, there is a lust that, that goes into that donut. There's a lust that goes into that alcohol. There's a lust that goes into that money. So all these things, when we see them, there's these pleasure sensors in our brains that just like, I want that pleasure. And that pleasure is something that I'm lusting after. And that lust is becoming bigger than God. And then that's where this whole snowball effect starts rolling downhill. All right. You got anything else to, to add to that or all right. Well, it's like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on that because, you know, we could sit here and talk about addiction and drugs and alcohol a day out, even outside of lust, you know, and eventually down the road, we might go ahead and talk about that more in depth. Uh, but the next thing I want to touch on, and this is going to be probably a long discussion is power. People crave power. And when we're talking about power in the Bible and people who wanted it, who lusted after it, the first person that comes to mind for me is King Saul. He was the first chosen king of Israel. He messed up. God removed that anointing and said, well, I'm passing the, you know, the kingdom over to David outside of your line. Even though Saul knew that that anointing on David was from God, he still did everything he could to keep that power because he wanted it. He lost it after he wanted to make sure that the power remained in his family, even after he was gone. Uh, so, uh, Go ahead and let you guys take over the discussion on that. You know, it's often you often hear the the phrase, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, it it certainly does. And if if you don't check yourself, it can just be like anything else. If you if you don't have something there that you can pour into it and someone go, Hey, you know, you you've got these things that are kind of getting out of line, then eventually you'll you'll do crazy things in the same way that Saul did. You know, when Saul first let David into the kingdom, 
you know, so David was his heart player and he was the thing that was giving him peace and harmony and, you know, freedom from the demented stuff that was going on. He was having some crazy nightmares and crazy things going on with the fact that, you know, demons were tormenting him while he was sleeping. Whereas when David would come and play a harp, it would give him peace. Not only that, but he won him so many battles and to the point where there was, you know, Goliath that was sitting there that was belittling not only their God, but also the king. And David went out there and slew Goliath. So, I mean, and he got married right into Saul's family too. Yeah. And then Saul ripped it right out from underneath them because he saw that they was getting more and more power. And he was like, whoa, I don't like this. And so he wanted to keep all the power himself. And that's where the, the corruption of power came kind of came into play. So, uh, I was just doing some quick research right here. Um, cause when we're having this conversation, this reminded me of something. So, uh, if I told you that you could pay me, uh, let's say a hundred dollars, right? You pay me a hundred dollars and you could cut my grass and I'll give you 17 cents back. Sounds like a heck of a deal, doesn't it? Wait, 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 hold on. I'm paying you to cut your grass. You're going to pay me a hundred dollars to cut my grass. And I'm gonna give you 17 cents back, but you get the power of being the one who cut my grass. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass on that deal. Okay, but that's what. So you, you talk about lust of power. There is no lust greater than the lust after being the president of the United States, right? I mean, it's the most powerful office in the world. Uh, men clamor for it. Women clamor for it as well. Uh, this past election, two point three billion dollars was spent by candidates running for president for a job that pays four hundred thousand dollars a year. Think about that. They're not in it for the money. They might be in it slightly for the prestige, but mainly for the power. I mean, the, the, the thought of being the guy or the gal who gets to say, I'm in charge. I'm in the greatest position in the history of the world. I am that ruler. I am that person. I mean, how many times do we see that all across the world? Right? So uh, it, it's just, it's funny because as you guys are talking about that, I just, I thought to pull that up. That's 0.017% of what was spent on the election is what you get back in returns. High five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's a great example. I mean, but it's that power. It's like being able to say that, you I mean, with a stroke of a pen, giving the orders to go ahead and invade another country. I mean, or, make a decision that's going to have a positive or negative impact immediately on the economy. I mean, how, I mean, that's just look how awesome that power is. But how often do we, I mean, uh, seriously, how often do we lust after power though? Not just on, on that big of a scale. Cause obviously that's a huge scale to, to see it at. Um, King Saul is obviously a big scale cause he was the, the, the King of Israel. And those, the level of prestige with that position at that time was just, you know, unbelievable right but how often do we lust after power well well what if i told you that you could have a promotion at work but you're not getting a raise right right exactly uh so the 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 thought where i'm going (laughs) over here shaking yeah 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 no way right Uh, i have had too many moments with that i i I worked a job where literally that was that was a thing where i got promoted but i got zero pay i had to work 15 more hours a week and I got no money to show for it. Well, well you know, you're in the uh, creative arts, I guess is what you would call it, you know, side of, you know, working, 
but if you're in the military or in the oil field like Will is, you know, really when you mean a promotion comes with, it might come with more work in a sense, but it's less physical work. And a, about a 15% pay cut is what I took. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Yeah. So, but, but part of that though was actually the lust after power, right? I mean, I, yeah. I wanted that position. I wanted that prestige that went along with it. Maybe not to the level of lusting after it. I mean, it wasn't all I thought about and then what I thought about before God or anything like that. But I mean, there was a certain part of me that wanted that power associated with that. Well, it's like for any of us who spent time in the military, uh, which we have uh, another board member. He's not here tonight that spent time in the Marine Corps, but same thing in the Corps or if you were like me in the Army. You want that next level up. You know, I spent time as as a squad leader. You know, I've spent, you know, I got my team leader time, got my squad leader time. Man, how much I would want that next promotion and get that time as a platoon sergeant. But, you know, I never got that far. But, you know, being a platoon sergeant meant, would mean that I wasn't out with the guys as much. You know, I was sitting there doing paperwork and I was really there for the sole purpose of really showing my the, the, the lieutenant how things are supposed to be done in the army and that's really what a platoon sergeant is he's you know just somebody there to kind of ba- essentially babysit the lieutenant but how often do we lust after that that power to be the one in charge to be the one that makes the decisions uh and i think that sometimes we see it and i'll i'll say i'm guilty of this and i may be the one at the table that admits it but I'm guilty of it sometimes my own marriage, right? That, yeah. I mean, in our, with our own kids that I want to be the one to make that decision because according to the Bible, the Bible says that I'm supposed to be the head of the household and how dare you even think you have the ability to make that decision. <laughs> now I'm not saying that's the way I am all the time. Cause I mean, that's not who I am, but there are those moments that in, in my life where that creeps in and I'm like, you know, Whoa, that's not your job. You're not allowed to make that as well let's be honest, I'm gone for two out of three weeks. Of course, that is her job to be able to make that decision. Of course, she has that authority and that power. Yeah, I mean, it's just like me. You know, I spent so much time overseas that when it came to financial decisions, I wasn't home enough to deal with the budget. So my wife, she dealt with the budget. She dealt with the finances. And when I'd come home, I'd want to change it all up. No, I want to go do this. I want to go do that. You know, and I'd want to jump right back in the, into the disciplinarian role as a father. Be like, no, I'm the one. I'm, I'm in charge of the house. You know, I, I get where you're coming from on that. But when when does when does the the pursuit of power become the lust of the lust after power? Though, is it when you begin to do deceitful things to be able to gain that power or gain more power? Is it? I mean, I I don't I don't really know a good answer to that question. I know that there that there is a difference between pursuit of power and lust after that power is it god ordained power it could be i mean you know there's a little bit of it's a little bit different you know when you're trying to run your household as like you know your god anointed position as head of the household you know i mean obviously that doesn't mean that you're a dictator but am i doing that in a godly role or am i doing that because i want to be seen as the man in charge you know, um, are you putting your own wants in front of the needs of your family? Well, but, but my question is specifically, like, think of the work example that you gave, right? Um, let's say I do want to be promoted and, and I've worked very hard to get promoted. And, and the idea of getting promoted is an intrinsic reward to me, right? It's something that, that I want that somebody can't take away from me that, you know, even if I'm not going to get paid more money, I still get the title. I still get the position. So it's, it's something that makes me feel good. You right. Prestige. Right. So 
that's not inherently bad, right? That's not inherently a lust to, to pursue movement, to pursue more power. No, no. Cause I mean, and that goes back to the whole thing. Like, you know, if you're not trying to better yourself, then you're going backwards, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be able to get a better position to be able to, you know, provide better for your family. Uh, I think it really, it comes, I think it comes down to your heart, you know, am I doing this for my glorification? Am I trying to do this for God's glory? You know, what is the real reason I'm pursuing this? And and you got to where I was going, Aaron. Sorry, because I, I you're chomping at the bit. I can see it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you got to where I was wanting to go with this. To me, it's even even when you talk about hobbies, when you talk about money, when you talk about drugs and alcohol, uh, all of these things can be a lust, but they're not guaranteed to be a lust. They're not inherently bad things. They're not. I mean, drugs and alcohol, of course, is not something you really want to partake in a whole bunch. Yeah, we'll just go ahead and say you know drugs are bad. Okay. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> don't but, do drugs, kids. <laughs> but none of this stuff. Dare. None of this stuff individually, right? None of this stuff individually, though, is evil, right? The the cocoa plant that cocaine is is brought from is not a. Uh, inherently evil plant. It no, no, God created the plant. I mean, right. Which, so even the pursuit of power is not something that man intentions and made it right. Better. Even the pursuit of power is, is a, not a evil thing. It's all in a heart condition, right? If you, if you and I are competing for the same position and I go to the boss and we both really want it. Right. And I go to the boss and I'm like, Hey, uh, just so you know, Josh has been embezzling. I've noticed that he's been taking five to $10,000 every week or two. And I don't know how we haven't caught it, but I've seen it. Uh, I've got video evidence of it. Like I can show you, I think you probably should fire him and I should be able to get that promotion. Like when it gets to that level where you're lying and deceitful to, to self gain, I think that's where the, the pursuit of power becomes the lust after power. Yeah. Right? Uh, and you know what? I mean, Aaron's been chomping at the bit here and I was about to go ahead and start talking, but I'm going to let him in on the conversation here. We've been kind of going back and forth. Um, James says this, the, the book that James says this, it's, it's not the, the action that starts it first. It's the, there's a thought that you got caught on and then you pursued that thought a little bit and you're starting to think on that thought rather than casting it out first. And you're going and you're getting tempted and a little bit more and a little bit more. It starts growing into a greater temptation and you start acting it out loud, not going to the boss yet, but you're starting to act it out like, oh, what if I did this? And everything, oh, I could get this position. Oh, I'd get all this power and all this stuff. You know, you're starting to play it out in your mind and you start moving forward. You know, you've already passed the point where you're starting to move in that direction and you've already approached that lust. And so it, you know, James talks about it this way, you know, it's, you know, it's, if you, if you play with the thought, you've already approached the lust. And, you know, I, it's the thing, if I'm taking that thought and I'm running with it, you know, it's one thing, but that thought can, you can grab hold of that thought, you know, when you first see it manifesting itself and put it back down and say, you know what, if I meant to have this promotion, if I meant to get this position, you know what? I'm just going to pray about it. I'm going to leave it to God. I'm going to trust in him to that. You know, he's going to make the decision that's best for my life and that, and that of my family. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's all in how we respond because, you know, if we're weak and we like, you know, if that's a weak area, Satan's going to attack us. He's going to try to get that thought going. It's all in how we um, react to that. You know, if we 
feel that thought coming on, do I go ahead and turn to God and, you know, seek his uh, wisdom and his peace to get that thought out of there? Uh, and that's really how you need to respond in all areas of, you know, temptation and sin, not just lust, not just materialism. It's, you know, it's, I need to be seeking God to remove that sin or that thought, you know, that temptation. Yeah. The line where it stops being productive and starts being destructive to you or somebody else is typically the place when it starts getting out of line. And that's whenever you've, like I said before, you've kind of crossed the line and you're now you're moving into something that you were never supposed to approach in the first place. So uh, just real quick, because I know we're getting to the end of this, but um, to to pony back onto what everybody is saying here, uh, as we move forward in this series, when we start getting deeper into other stuff, that is the the sexual components of lust, um, understand that, again, all of these things are, it comes from allowing yourself to dabble in things that you shouldn't, as Aaron was saying, and pursuing those things with the intent of, what is the next step? What is the next thing? What is the next pleasure that I can receive from this thought or ideology or, or whatever the case is? And I really want to, I want to keep that in mind as we transition out of this, because the, all of these things, whether it be power, materialism, hobbies, money, uh, all of these lusts are rooted from the same thing, which is ultimately a heart condition, right? Uh, that's why our initial scripture, when we broke into this lust series, talked about how the the lust of the flesh are obvious maybe not at the time when you're when you're in them and you're full throat in them but but they're obvious to the outside world they're obvious to the onlooker before they ever get to that point though they are conditions of the heart and we have to be able to check our heart at the door and make sure that we're doing the things correctly yeah uh and that really is a good lead into the uh, one of the last things we're we're going to be talking about when it comes to materialism and lust is uh, materialism and listening to God, you know, and using possessions as excuses. How often do we use you know our materialistic tendencies as an excuse to to not do what God's calling us to do? Um, I, I think that it's it's something that we do pretty often, right? Um, Cause we can say, I mean, we can justify anything under the sun. That's what Solomon says, right? Uh, there's a time for everything under the sun and, Oh, this is my time to do this, or this is my time to do that. But when we're not fully immersed in the word of God, when we're not checking the thoughts and things in our brain that are floating around against the word of God, we don't know if we're lusting after something, maybe at the, at the inception of that lust, right? We don't know that we're, drifting off path at the inception of the problem. And then it allows this big thing to blow up when we could have been listening to God. We could have been listening to his word. We could have been putting on the full armor of God and just nipped it off right at the beginning. Yeah. The, the scripture says, you know, take every thought captive. And that's because it's at the thought before you allow it to go down into your heart, because the scripture also says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaketh. And from there, everything else corrupts you. Yeah. And, uh, I just, you know, as we start to wrap up, you know, I, I think when it comes to listening to God and materials, I think we need to really be on guard, you know, not to use it as an excuse, you know, I don't know how many times that people will receive a calling and it's like, well, 
God, I can't do that. I don't have the necessary stuff. Or, well, I can do that, but I can't really give this up. You know, so I think materialism can be a downfall uh, and on, on our callings. Now, uh, I really quick want to get into a couple of quick questions just to close out. You know, all these things we've been talking about today, power, money, possessions, hobbies, you know, I was going to go into, you know, what they all have in common, but I think we've already covered that pretty well, you know, as to the fact that they're all heart conditions, you know, uh, but one thing uh, I really want to get into, um, I just got handed a verse real quick. I want to read second uh, Timothy two twenty two. run as fast as you can from all the ambitions and lusts of youth and chase after all that is pure. Whatever builds up your faith and deepens your love must become your holy pursuit and live in peace with all those who worship our Lord Jesus with pure hearts. You know, and that right there, I think is a good verse to really use as a wrap up, you know, everything that we do, we want to have it essentially God centered and we want to put everything else beneath us. So really in order to get to that point, how do we identify in ourselves, these materialistic, you know, wants and needs and uh, lusts. Well, I think a lot of it starts with surrounding ourselves with, with the right people. Right. Um, we were never, we were never meant to exist as a community of one, uh, men, woman, whatever the case is. And, and that's been a common theme for all the discussions we've had so far. I don't know how many times it's come up that surround yourself with godly men. Yep. And, and I think that that is where it starts. And, and a lot of times that's kind of understated, it's overstated, but the importance is understated, right? Um, so having the people around you to, to help you check your behavior is important. Having the people around you to help identify things that you may not see because it's a spiritual blind spot is important. Um, and I, I think the, the other important part of that is having those guys around you also provides a support system. So you can go to and be like, hey, guys, um, so I've been struggling with money lately. Like I, I've stopped tithing and I don't know what to do about it. Or, Hey guys, I'm struggling with drug and drugs and alcohol. I've been drinking. I've been going to the bar every night. My wife doesn't know. Uh, I need help. Or, Hey guys, I've been lying about my coworker because I want his job or whatever the case is. Um, so praise God. If, if, if that's you and you're in the midst of that lust, in the midst of that struggle, praise God that you are able to identify that it's a problem. Um, which once again, if you missed this earlier, the, the reason that Will's using this phrase all the time, praise God for identifying whatever struggle you're talking about is because if you see that it is a struggle, you've identified, you know, the problem, then that means you're seeking to uh, remove yourself from that and to get it out of your life. Yeah. And I, and I do want to give credit to that, um, to, to Gaborum, which is, a another, uh, they're a Christian media company. They're, putting out some awesome materials, podcast stuff like that. And that they're really the ones that are kind of leading the way on this. And, and I've listened to a lot of their stuff and I'm giving them credit for this because it's not something that maybe I understood even that, you know, praise God in the midst of the struggle on this stuff, because at least you're admitting you got a problem. At least you're admitting that there is something that needs to be fixed and there's things to be had to, to fix those problems. Right. Well, even according to the DSM five, you know, if you want to get into the mentality part of it, you know, admitting that you have a struggle or admitting that you have a problem is half the battle. You know, just getting to that point, you're already halfway through because a lot of times we have a hard time coming to terms with in ourselves of what we're struggling with to let alone speak it out loud. Especially as men, especially as yep. men. Now, uh, 
I mean, it seems like this has already been uh, covered too, but like, you know, once we identify the issue and how do we overcome it, you know, as Will was saying, like, you know, you surround yourself with, with godly men who will help you, you know, that'll call you out that you can go to when you have an issue. Is there anything else, you know, really that we can do once we identify that problem to, to get us out of there, to bring us back on the straight and narrow? Um, I, I think uh, putting on that armor of God, which we talk about. And again, that's going to be a recurring theme throughout our podcast because it, it just, the importance of it cannot be understated. Right. Um, but putting on that armor of God, actually physically getting into the word of God, understanding what it is that God has to say about the struggle or the temptation or, or whatever it is that's causing these lust patterns. Right. And then another, another thing that we can't skip over is the importance of, of seeking out, other people, even if you don't have that, that brotherhood around you, if you're going to church, you have pastors, right? Or you have elders or deacons or, or leadership within your church, or uh, there's ministries like our ministry that are here to help you on stuff like this. There's no, there's no shame and struggle. There is shame and keeping it in the dark, right? Anything that's brought to the light, uh, darkness can't exist when it's brought to the light. Right. Um, so understanding that that when we do have struggles that the number one thing we can do is bring it to the light whether it be to our group of accountability brothers whether it be to our pastors or our wives or our husbands if if ladies are listening or whatever the case is um but i i think understanding that overcoming it a requires a tribe that it's not something that ever goes away understanding that it takes a mentality change it takes a mindset change and it takes putting your physical actions and physical wants and physical desires to the test against the Bible to understand really, truly what what's happening around us. Yeah. We were made to be a social individual. I don't care how introverted you think you are. Oh, I hate talking to people (laughs) at the end of the day. You, you were created to be some kind of a social individual, whatever that means. So, I mean, if it means being up in a duck blind and just, speaking a little bit here and there. I know like you're supposed to be pretty quiet in those situations, but you know, you still have those moments where you're socializing. You still have those moments where you're, you're sewing into each other. There's still those, those moments where you're feeding off of somebody that someone's giving you, but you also have the pouring out of yourself into somebody else as well. And, you know, uh, we're going to probably have to make this another episode, but you know, Will, you're talking about having that accountability partner. You know, I can't stress the importance of that, you know, even in my own life, you know, growing up, you know, even in my young twenties, mid twenties, and really up until the past couple of years, you know, in my mid thirties, yeah, accountability partners were always a thing I heard in church, you know, but I never understood how incredible that can be in your life to, you know, help you overcome uh, temptations that you're having, you know, so I would definitely encourage anybody out there, you know, you may not completely understand the importance of it. And you may be out there saying, well, you know, whatever, but from my own life, man, I can, I can just say that having the right group around you makes a huge difference. Yeah. And it's, it's time to, uh, and and this is getting off topic from the lust portion of things, but well, it got brought up, you know, so welcome to the creative sport ministry podcast where we go off the rails, but, uh, the idea of accountability, right? Um, can we rewrite the book on that? Can we rewrite the book on what an accountability group is? 
Oh, oh definitely. And, and you know, and you say that it doesn't have anything to do with lust, but in, really, like, you know, when everything we're looking at with lust, you know, all these materialistic things and what we're going to be getting into next with all the, the sexual aspects of lust. How important is it to have somebody there to go to, though, well, we're, you know, to overcome that? What, what, I'm, what I'm specifically talking about is when we think of accountability groups, we think of a circle of, of people together. As saying, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or man, you know, I'm not doing very good. I suck. You suck. We all suck. And, th- and that's, not, that's not an accountability group. That, Jean shorts and a barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. No, a, an accountability group, honestly, is supposed to be a group of people who are going to hold you accountable, which is like a weird thing to say, to use the, 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 uh, the word in the definition. Right. But it's not, it's not just uh, getting together and feeling sorry for yourselves. It's getting together and coming up with a battle plan, coming up with whatever the next step is to beat down whatever that lust As is. As we talked about temptation. in the armor of God, locking shields and going to battle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and it drives me crazy when people think of accountability groups as, as just the, the alcoholics anonymous, like structure of accountability. Like I don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with alcoholics anonymous, like praise God for that organization. Cause they brought so many alcoholics away from alcohol. Right. But that's not the only structure for accountability. Right. That's not the, we, we don't have to sit in a circle and say, man, I really screwed up today and this is how I screwed up and woe is me. And then, all right, you're next. Go ahead. Tell me how you Hi, screwed up. My name up. is Aaron and I'm an addict. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I don't know. Just <laughs> and, and again, because I said this is going to go off topic, but I, you know, it, it's I, just, I think it has so much to do with it, though. It, well, it's one of those things that drives me crazy because we've got such a negative undertone of, of accountability. And part of that is because of the way we structure accountability groups, because now we're going to all have to come and sit in a circle and talk about how bad our lives are and how bad we've screwed each other up through, uh, through our <laughs> actions and through our lusts and the things that we're chasing after when really the whole idea of accountability and accountability group is to <laughs> make things better. Right. Yeah. And Aaron's dying to say something over here. It's, it's all about relational back to what I was saying before about having that social group around you. You know, that's the thing that they're missing. Every single one that I've ever been to never had that relationship. I never knew anyone that was there. I knew them by name, but I couldn't tell you who Joe or Sally was and what, what they've been doing other than for the fact that they were struggling with X, Y, Z. And that, that's so against what the original purpose of an accountability group is. It was supposed to be a bunch of brothers and sisters together, locking shields, like you guys were saying, that go, hey, how's your wife doing? How is, you know, so-and-so that you, you, you was struggling with cancer? Or how is this person, you know, we're so in depth with each other's lives that we know that there was, you know, someone down the line that they were struggling with health or they were struggling with this or that. And we came around to it. Yeah, and uh, one thing in another area we've gotten so that the accountability wrong is as we think of account, an, an accountability partner and an accountability group as people that are going to come and uh, judge you or, you know, wag their finger at you. And, you know, when the, the reality is if you're in an accountability group, it's somewhere where I can feel comfortable saying where I messed up. But at the same time, I know when they come and say, hey, this is what you're doing, they're not going to do it, you know, with judgment, they're going to come and do it with love and saying, Hey, this is where you're falling short. I'd love to see you pick this up and, you know, get past it. Yeah. Accountability, accountability partners are there to pray for you when you don't know what to pray for yourself and lift each other up and exhort each other to the point where we can all help each other. That that's the whole point behind it. 
So uh, just just last note on that. Uh, and then maybe we get this thing back on the rails. <laughs> uh, well, you know, if you look at it, you know, from a good well, spec, you know, good view, then, you know, this is how you overcome lust. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, th- this is this is actually an important component of lust. So we're not completely off the rails. We're just not on the topic of where we were going with lust today. But uh, shocker. Shocker. Yes. <laughs> uh, but. You know, we need accountability. We need discipline. And it's something that that is built in as an inherent need, but it's something that we struggle and run away from, right? Um, I need someone like Aaron or like Josh in my life to to say, hey, dude, you, you may not see that you're doing this, but from X, Y, and Z, I can see where this thing is starting to become an issue, you know? Um because a lot of times, even if we know we have a problem, we won't admit we have a problem until it manifests and somebody else smacks us in the face about it, right? So uh, accountability is very important. Discipline is very important. And and having that community and people around you is something that we just, we've got to make a priority. But anyways, I'll let you continue on the lust portion of the podcast. All right. Yeah. Now, now back to lust. We were talking about how do we overcome lust and that's how we got into the whole accountability conversation there, which it really goes hand in hand. You know, that's how you overcome it. But the uh, one thing we failed to mention, and it's the most important aspect of overcoming lust or any other temptation is getting on your knees, you know, and spending the time in prayer before God, giving that up to him and, you know, taking the battle to him, you know, Rather and letting him fight it for us rather than us sitting here down here trying to fight it and you know just me going to will and saying hey I'm struggling with this first thing that we need to do is get on our knees and leave that before God and that and that's the most obvious thing right I mean that's the most obvious way to overcome it but well it's the most obvious but, but we know, as a, look at that whole conversation we just had right. before we came up well but that's the thing though we as Christian men sit here and we're like well well yeah duh we're supposed to be praying we know this duh it's such an obvious answer we overlook it yeah well and, and how many guys out there that's not the default right that should be the default for all of us that should be the default and I feel like that's probably why we you know we're an hour and 20 minutes into this podcast and we're finally talking about prayer, but, but that's because for us, it, it's the default for us. It makes sense, but I don't think it's the default for most people. And I think that we tend to skip over that. No. And you know, it's easy for us, you know, we're all Bible believing Christians here. You know, if you're a new Christian, first off, it's probably not a habit yet to be having a prayer life. If you're not a Christian who needs a prayer life, you know, so, yeah, it's not necessarily the first thing that jumps off the page to us to do, but it's much, it's needed. And, you know, not only do we need to be praying, but we need to be praying with our brothers. You know, it's back to the accountability. We need to be joining in prayer and locking shields. Um, and really, you know, that's, that's all I can say on that. All right, so I'm going to help you put a bow on this one. Because, yeah, we could go on all day. Yeah, we, we could go on all day about this. But I want to uh, bring your attention as as podcast listeners to what is coming up. Uh, we have covered the materialism side of things. We've covered the, the non-sexual lust to a degree. Um, starting next week is where we dive into the stuff that is probably going to leave some people uncomfortable. And you know what? That's a good thing. And, you know, uh, when we're talking about this next week, uh, if you're listening to the next podcast, I'm not going to tell you to, if you have a child, I'm not going to say 
don't let your kid listen to it with you because we never want to tell you to say, Hey, don't let your kids learn. Uh, but what I would encourage you to do is listen to the podcast when your kid's not around so you can judge whether or not your kid is at a maturity level where they can really grasp what we're going to be talking about. So I want to just kind of preview a couple of things that we're going to be discussing over, over the coming podcast. We're going to be discussing sexuality, period, uh, and all of the encompassing parts of lust that come with sexuality. Um, things like the pornography industry, like adult entertainment, uh, things like human trafficking, um, where that stuff comes into play. We're also going to talk about the fact that the church isn't immune to this, that actually the church is not immune, but the church is actually very sick with this lust. And it's something that unfortunately most people don't want to talk about because it's still a taboo topic in the Christian church, right? Well, well, yeah. I mean, we don't want to admit that there's a, a problem with any of this because it says that, Hey, I'm falling short and it comes to a pride issue. You know, but as we get ready to go into this, you know, guys, uh, any women that are out there, because let's face it, men aren't the only people that face this problem. It's, you know, across both genders, all levels of society, you know, this sin knows no limits. As we get into this, we're not going to be pulling any punches. We're going to be brutally honest and we're going to be diving into it scripture based. And we're not going to come out with anything that isn't backed by scripture on this. Yeah, and, and a lot of the things that we're going to talk about also comes from personal experiences. It comes from uh, the heart of men who have struggled with this, right? Uh, the heart of men who have seen the results of this stuff. So none, none of it, believe me when I say that none of this is, is us preaching at you because we, we don't have a problem and we're identifying that you do. Uh, a lot of this comes from we've been there. We've done that. We've had those problems. We've seen the results. We, we know what can happen from this and praise God that either we're currently struggling with it. We have struggled with it or we're not going to allow ourselves to struggle with it in the future. So, um, but that's, uh, that, that's where we're heading and we're really, really excited about that. Yeah. Uh, so as we get ready to go ahead and head this way, uh, with this conversation, you know, I'm just going to ask all you guys out there that are listening to this, you know, pray for us that as we tackle this topic, that we tackle it from a God-led perspective, uh, that we're listening to him and going in the direction that he uh, He wants and that we're not going in the direction that we want. Uh, and uh, once again, uh, from Courageous Warrior Ministries, we just want to go ahead and thank you for listening and uh, hope you tune back in.